out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are, Jim. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. I've just been trucking through those archives and came across one or two interesting ones that um, I thought I needed to put up and put out there. And this is one with Colin Newman from Wire, who um, I spoke to a few years ago. So, um, yes, this is the interview. It took place in Brighton in a coffee shop. The quality is a little bit hit and miss, but... Generally, it's all right. Um, And this is it, unedited, but full of joy and excitement. Anyway, um, this is where I began by talking about that first time I heard Wire on the John Peel show. I mean, let's face it, a lot of people did. Anyway, this is it. Me, David, Colin from Wire. Well, thank you ever so much for talking to me, because actually the first time I came across Wire was on the John Peel show, and it was kind of my first moments when I started to discover John Peel, and um, he played I Am The Fly, and I thought, oh, that's an unusual song to hear. That's, a, that's not my, you know, after, sort of, I don't know, it was an age where I suppose I was just starting to get into sort of post-punk and indie stuff. So it was quite an unusual song and um, not the normal sort of thing that one heard on top of the pops. Sure, sure. I, I mean, I don't know. I, can't, I mean, John Peel was a great supporter of all kind of different kind of music, really. Um, and uh, I mean, he wasn't without his faults, but I mean, he did engage, I think, with what was around. Yes. And, you know, and it's, I guess, in a way, uh, we now have a whole station which kind of follows that idea, you know, and it's a national station like in something like Six Music where there is, it's it's a very slow admission, uh, in a way, by the sort of broadcasting establishment that there is actually more than one type of taste out there. Yes. This is true, actually. So, at the moment, you're sort of kind of back on the road and, and got a new album out, haven't you? Yes. And how did that feel? Because cause a lot of the bands I've sort of interviewed, I mean, they, they had a, you know, like normally about a five-year sort of arc of sort of getting together and creating a sound and a single and then an album tour, and then things kind of get tricky. So, coming back again, did that feel exciting? Uh, well, we haven't really gone anywhere. I mean, actually... Uh... Silver Lead is the third Wire album in three years. Yes. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously, there's, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean to say that there's continuous activity. And realistically, we only tour Britain every two years. Um, but there is sort of, you know, sort of more or less continue, continuous activity of some kind. So I think it just is. It, it is what it is. I mean, it, it's kind of evolved into the way that we do it. You know. Yeah. And how did it, um, I mean, just going back to the beginning, how did the band sort of get together and form in those early years? Um, bands are brutal. <laughs> the, um, the, the actual story of Wire is that we were somebody else's band. And when we kicked out the founder member, yes. uh, that was, that's the kind of the long and the, the, long and the short of it. Um, it sort of formed around a, a guy who I was at art school with, um, and um, Bruce and I were there sort of from the beginning. Yes. And it and it became something of a you know. It, it became sort of interesting, um, actually, when when uh, that that person uh, for, 
reasons best known for themselves, wound up in hospital for a couple of weeks, um, uh, having broken their leg. Um, and uh, we started rehearsing. By that time, uh, Robert and, and Graham were in the band, started rehearsing without him and realised it was a whole lot. Even playing his material, it was better without him. Right. Um, and then uh, Graham and I just started writing. I mean, there was a um, a famous meeting uh, in the in the White Lion in Covent Garden where we we were off to see a um, to see a damned gig actually at the Roxy, and yes. we were together in the pub with a, a, a mutual friend who said, you know, you, you really need to get rid of this person, and we were kind of, he was pushing at an open door, and we were just like, yeah, well, yeah, we, yeah, we should really. And then, and then I said, well, who's going to write the songs then? I said, well, I can write tunes. And Graham said he can write texts. And he handed me the text for Lowdown. Yes. And that was that was kind of the beginning of it, really. Yes. I mean, that's that's quite that's quite some sort of introduction to the world of rock and roll, isn't it? Um, I just think I just think in bands in general can be quite kind of brutal in their behaviour. You know, they just decide to all up sticks and do one particular thing. You know. Yes. Um, that's sort of just. Just the way it is, you know. Yeah. There is so there is a sort of there is a sort of Pete Best in Wire's history. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um, I mean, I mean, obviously, you sort of you you sort of kind of hit upon quite a creative high quite quickly, didn't you? Because you obviously did, you know. There was tracks like "I Am the Fly" and also "Outdoor Miner" as well. I think I think the thing is that um, what happened was because. We had to more or less write a new set. Um, not that we played a lot of gigs before. We'd only played about four gigs anyway up to that point. Um, the idea of writing and kind of moving the band on was very much in the sort of DNA of the band. I mean, I think bands are very much defined by how they're formed. And, you know, why is not, it's famously not a mate's band. Yeah, and, and I've described the, the, the formation of the band, and that was really sort of so. The idea that you know, after doing Pink Flag, which was their album, was a particular kind of mood, we would just more or less jettison that uh, that approach and move on to different different approaches um, was just just there from the beginning, really. Yes. And actually, I mean, considering you had that slightly brutal beginning to the band, I mean, you have been quite consistent with this sort of the ba- the mace- basic kind of lineup, haven't you? Um, well, we've, we have uh, a Bruce left in uh, two thousand and four, um, yeah. but apart from that, it, you know, that it has been the same the same lineup. But which is, people thought that we wouldn't survive losing Bruce. Um, but actually, the combination that was left proved to be the only actual viable three three people from Wire that would actually work. Yes, um, a, a very very unlikely uh, combination, and we've since augmented that with uh, Matthew Sims, who's you know brought a lot to the band, and you know we've just he, he's someone of a similar kind of type of person really. Yes, in terms of his his approach and the way it's it's very organic. The way it works, you know, that's just kind of the basis of it, really. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because because obviously, because you obviously had sort of quite a, a a fast start, so to speak, with your first three albums almost in three, you know three years. But then you you sort of the as the eighties progressed, which was a sort of a time when all the indie pop bands and the the C eighty six world appeared. You you sort of that that was a near, a period when you went quiet again. Yeah, we had a sort of period between uh, inactivity between basically 1980 and um, 1985, while people did different things. I mean, it was, you know, it would be a very, very long conversation to describe the process of how that happened, but um, it wasn't necessarily the smartest thing that we ever did. But perhaps one of the things that that Wire has ensured by its sometimes arrogant and quite peculiar behaviour is its own longevity. Yes. Um, and and the fact that we've always kind of taken the view that what we're doing right now is what is what we do is what we're about. Um, uh, which was not a dominant dominant attitude uh, most of the during most of the previous forty years of our existence. Um, I think it's kind of it's given us a kind of advantage in a way, because we've retained a fan base and actually grown it. Yes, and that's got and and obviously, I mean, this is kind of bizarrely your fortieth anniversary, isn't it? This year from yes. Pink Flag. Yes. I mean, the Mekons, because I did an interview with John Langford, and he was talking because they put on Meconville, which was a three-day little festival based in Suffolk. Yeah. I mean. Oh. Those coffee machines are quite loud, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's still there. Yeah. So, I mean, were you, I mean, were you aware of the fortieth anniversary? Of course, of course. We we kind of planned around it, um, but I have come to the conclusion. I've personally come to the conclusion that it was so attempting to make too much of it was perhaps not the, the best idea. There's just been too many anniversaries going on really, yeah. over the last. You know, 50 years since Sergeant Peppers is actually not the the, the 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 thing that we've been celebrating. Actually, 40 years of which happened back in uh, on the 1st of April was actually the 40 years of the found the formation of the band. We 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 won't particularly celebrate the anniversary of the release of Pink Flag. No. It's that's a bit more arbitrary in a way as a kind of thing, and uh, we certainly won't be going out and doing shows playing only pink flag or something like that you know no i did notice i suppose when those ideas came up where people would just kind of reform to do a particular album i suppose it was actually a way of sort of trying to sort of get their original fans back on board really oh actually the coffee machine's going crazy there uh let me see if i can get in a slightly better position one sec um might have to contend with a little bit of traffic and wind here. Oh, that's, How's that? Is that's that what, better or that worse? It, No, that does sound a little bit better. I just sort of realised it was a bit... Okay. Yeah, so... God, I was going to forget what I said there, actually. Oh, yeah, so the idea when bands that, that came out about five, ten years ago where a band or an artist would sort of go and just play a they their kind of classic album from start to finish, I think it sort of also rekindled their career as well. I think it was more of a sort of commercial idea behind that. I think it was. I think it seems to me to be fundamentally a commercial idea. It's the kind of don't look back concept. It's been around for quite a while now. Yeah. Um, I, I think ultimately, 
what happens is that you're not, you know, as a, you know, as you, shall we say, there are vintage bands that come in two different flavors, of which Wire is very much in the minority. Most of those groups haven't been around for quite a long while, yeah. and then suddenly they do the comeback. But the problem with that is that, you know, uh, they haven't played for years, and they've got to somehow put together something with usually, I mean, you try and do the biggest venues possible, you know, with high production values and all the rest of it. But in the end, you're going to have a bunch of people, or the original fans are going to look at it and think, well, that's just, it's not as good as it was when they were younger because they're bringing nothing new to the table. Yeah. And and the younger fans are going to be like, well, what was all that fuss about? You know? <laughs> I think I think the course that, that Wire is on where, where we always lead with new material. I mean, it's not, we don't only play new material. We do, we do also play old material, but, you know, we lead with new material. It's, it's, um, it's, it's one that proved to have some longevity yeah. because not, it's not, um, um, and our fan base, actually the average age of people in the wire show these days worldwide is in their forties, which is 20 years younger than the average age of the band. Yeah. So it's one of those uh, kind of sort of situations where really we're not in the we're not in the nostalgia market because people who are our age don't come out to shows anyway. You get a few, but you know people in their sixties. I mean, if bands were relying on people in their sixties to pack out their gigs in order to turn a profit on the tour, they would you know. I think they'd be in trouble, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's true, actually, yes. Because actually one thing was quite interesting, the Nightingales have been touring with a new album and they've only just played material, I believe, from that album. They haven't played any of their their back catalogue, which I thought was quite a brave move, really. I think they, but that's, Nightingales have been doing that forever. That's that's exactly their whole approach. Nightingales are not a nostalgic group. Yes. Not not. Not for a moment, and, and this is not necessarily some alternative, weirdo way of looking at the world. I mean, take a look at Swans. Nobody's interested in eighty Swans anymore. It's all about the new material, and they and they certainly sweep all before them in terms of. I mean, they play to much bigger audiences than Wired does, and you know they've they've made a, a big success out of doing that. So, I think as a, as, a, as an approach. As an approach, it's it's a you know, it, it's not an uncommercial one. Yes, this is true. I mean, because I'd see your um, upcoming tour, which is quite um, extensive for the autumn, and uh, the one thing you're going to be doing is something that often bands have said that was the thing that kind of finished us was doing an American tour as well throughout September. Uh, we do we tour America quite often. We tour America every two years. Yes. It's actually been the second time we've been in America this year. We did the West Coast already earlier. Yeah. We launched that. We launched the album, which came out one day before our 40th anniversary with uh, our drill festival in Los Angeles. Yeah. And how does that cope? I mean, because everyone just kind of gets quite damaged with, well, there's a lot of things you can get damaged with in the world of rock and roll, but sort of touring America seems to be the thing that sort of finished a lot of bands off. Uh, I don't know who you've been talking to. It's just part of the life of of doing this, you know. I mean, it's not really, it's not really, um, you know, it's not really a, 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 a kind of a killer 
thing. I mean, it, it, it's a matter of you, you have when you have enough experience to organise it properly. Wire is, you know, we have our own label which I run. There is nobody subsidising any of the tours. Yeah. It has to be. It has to be well organised. People can't go off piste because they're basically what they're basically doing is is would be harming all of the other people's income. You know stream you, you have to be kind of pretty signed up and you have to just basically do it i mean it's a you know if you want to take an attitude to it it's like being on a working on an oil rig or something like that you go out there you do it and you you know you make the best of it that you can yeah absolutely yeah it's just that i suppose when you're young possibly america is the one thing that sort of people aren't quite ready for with this sort of hedonistic um, lifestyle it depends really really depends on i mean it doesn't Really, touring America is really not any different to touring Britain, in my view. I mean, we do it. We do it in a um, in a sort of fairly relaxed manner. Um, we we always work with the same team. Um, just keep it. It's it, it's it's small. There's not there isn't that situation where you work, will have with a lot of young bands where they tour with a big crew and. Uh, and the crew are actually the only ones that are getting paid, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a different it's a different situation, you know, with why people are aware. In the end, we're going to make money out of this, mm. you know. And you know, we have we've always had a, a, a probably the, I mean, by proportion of population, I, you know, Britain is now our biggest audience, but our biggest actual audience is in the USA. Because the population of the USA is much more vast than the population of the UK, yeah. Um, so that's the, one of the reasons why, you know. So several of the biggest cities that we can we can play in in the world are in the USA. Um, and but it, it is true that it's certainly over the last ten years, Wire has grown its British audience really quite considerably. Yeah, and it, it sounds like you certainly have got your sort of finger on the sort of the legality and the the sort of the publishing and the sort of the admin side of your record life as well as being a musician and an artist. I think you have to be basically, and that's the way to do it. I mean, there is not the vast sums of money to be made out of music for the likes of Wire that there were, you know, thirty or forty years ago. The ridiculous thing is, is we see way more out of it than we ever did in the 70s. In the 70s, we never saw anything out of it, even though we sold quite a lot of records. Yes. Um, because you're working with a major record company and you're basically paying for them to run their office in central London, amongst other things. And yeah. everything costs money. You don't understand how everything costs money. I mean, by you know being your own master doing things in the way that you want to do it with the with the costs that you want to incur just like any other small business you know it, it's all about how much you spend as opposed to you know how much you make you know it's a so I, we can make it work you know yeah and it works pretty well for us you know because I've, I've spoke to a few bands who sort of you know sort of wonder why they're not doing their sort of old material and it isn't because they would 
don't want to is because they just don't own it anymore because of the publishing. So it's a bit like I was talking to the guy from The Very Things and it was like, because he's now, you know, the Shend, he's now in the band called The Cravats, but he said, well, there's no point doing The Very Things because we don't own them. So we won't make, you know, we don't, we haven't got the legality to play our own songs, which seemed a bit perverse. I mean, they have the legality, they, they can play. It's just that... Um it's just definitely not making very much out of the, out of the sale of the of the product. If there is any, well, be everything's available digital, digitally, even if there's no physical product. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I've been engaged in running record labels since the early '90s, so I mean, I have a sort of fairly solid background in this, so I, I know how it, I know how it works. And there is there there is you know, a tendency to to think of oh well, let's let's you know let's promote the new things because that's what we make the money out of and but we are we temper that with a with a viewpoint that you know pro, serious and proper wire fans all, always they love the new albums but they they do like to hear other things as well and that's fine you yeah. know we certainly don't we we i mean we don't cater for an audience that would come to just hear 70s stuff no you know but i don't think anyone would expect that from wire they'd be disappointed you know? wouldn't they what would you, and um, so with your, you know, with your experience in the sort of the music world, and obviously you've done incredibly well, what would you say to your 18-year-old self who was starting out <laughs> in music? Uh, pay more attention. <laughs> to, the, to what? It's like everything, you know. I mean, the whole, I mean, the thing is, is that you're so, hang on, Wait for that time to go. Um, you're so um, completely uh, bound up in the idea that my God, somebody wants to release my music and they want to put me on the cover of the enemy and they want to do this. I mean, it's just all like it's dizzying, dizzying. You know? Yes. It's not what you expected from what you did. Um, so, you know, this is this is uh, you know a. a it's a, it's a kind of an amazing feeling that somebody somebody wanted it, you know. Uh, but after a while, you get over that, and you realise that in fact, you know what what what's going on is, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's it's a, it's kind of a business. You have to take an attitude to it like it's a business. It doesn't mean to say that there's no art in it, yeah. but that you don't care about the quality of what you do. In fact. It's incredibly important, especially for an older band. You know, you can talk the talk, but if you can't actually walk the walk, if 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 you're saying, all right, we're what we're about is new material, what we're about is is um, sort of pushing forward our own, you know, our own agenda of what we're doing. If what you're coming up with is rubbish, then who's going to be interested in it? You know, you've got you've got to walk the walk as well as talk talk when it comes down to it. You know. Yeah, well, it was interesting because actually one of the artists that who seemed a bit boggled because, you know, with other I suppose artists who sort of didn't get themselves kind of sorted out was Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, who just seemed to sort of, I suppose he had a very practical way of doing business and a very sort of clean way of sort of thinking through things. So I suppose he can understand why there were so many casualties in the world of rock and roll. Yeah, I've, I really, I think people are coming into it in, in so many different ways and wanting so many different things out of it. And there is, I think, amongst young musicians, you know, the idea that you know, they'll probably do it for a bit and then have to get a proper job, you know. Uh, the, the thing is, is that you just can never know what the longevity of anything is going to be. 
I don't think, to be to be truthfully honest, anyone would have thought, you know, people would still be interested in wire. Uh, I mean, by by now, but then on the other side of it, I mean, we didn't we we did start with the idea that, you know, this was not about the first five minutes. We were we were doing something for posterity. And that was, that was really from the start of it. We we weren't interested in that idea that it was prevalent in the 60s, where you know, where you get a couple of years out of it and then uh, you know, you get a proper job, you know. Yeah. But I mean, it's definitely quite brutal now for for, for the younger <laughs> artists, you know, because nothing ever, nothing lasts. I mean, very very little that comes around that gets you know, week one everyone's raving about, you know, such and such. And two years later, who are they? You know? mm, I know, and it's kind of actually what was a bit tricky. I mean, we mentioned him at the beginning, but not having John Peel to slightly sort of be the gatekeeper of a lot of stuff is quite tricky because because everything is out there now in in great abundance, um, and relatively easy to access with Spotify or YouTube or the internet. But actually, there's nobody who's kind of channeling that much stuff. So six music might be good, but it's not really where you'd go to find something. Absolutely outstanding. Well, it depends what you look at. I mean, I, you know, I, I've got a lot of respect for Mark Riley. I think he brings a lot of interesting stuff to the mix. You know, I mean, John Peel was in, such, in, in a situation whereby the majority of the output of Radio One was pretty, you know, forgettable, and he was the, he was the only person who was bringing anything that wasn't mainstream. Yes. You know, now there's, now now there's endless. I mean. You know, we we live in in the world of what you call the long tail in marketing terms. I mean, back in the sort of 60s, you know, the 60s and 70s, the main artists would sell huge numbers of records. And that a tail, of, you did a graph of all of the artists releasing records, that would tail down pretty quickly um, to zero because artists who maybe released a record in 66 and sold all their copies, the thousand copies or whatever was made up, would simply not be available. Yeah. Now we live in the digital age where everything is available. So you have this, and, the, and the, the, what the mainstream is selling is actually less. I mean, the, the biggest artists are saying, selling way less than, than artists were selling 20 or 30 years ago. And then, then, and then there's this incredibly long tail. So the actual total volume of music being sold and consumed now is greater than it's ever been. Yes. But, but it's shared amongst more more artists. And, and there are lots of artists who are making very, very little, but then it's little, which is more than nothing. Mm. You know. So there is just an awful lot out there. You know, there really is an awful lot out there. Um, and it's, it, it's hard to pick your way, to pick your way through it. Um, it depends what you it depends what you're looking for, really. Yes, it's ways and means in finding. It is. You just have to sort of keep digging away, actually, because actually, I mean, sort of, I mean, I mean, I suppose it's kind of tricky when you sort of try to reflect or look back, especially when you're still doing so much. But I mean, is that, are there periods where you sort of think, God, that was a particularly high point, or was that a particularly tricky point of, of sort of uh, the wire and your own life and career? I mean, a lot of it is just to do with you know the internal politics of the band and the relationship between the people can make things easier or less easier or, or less easy. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know you're talking about people who've known each other a very long time. 
and who who didn't necessarily start off as friends. Yes. You know, so that, that's that's more uh, in terms of the kind of external thing. I think um, I think we've always just created our own situation. I think we we we, we don't really follow. So we've sort of created a bubble around ourselves whereby it really the prevailing condition doesn't matter that much. But, you know, we have done very well off the back of the sort of post-punk revival. I mean, that did did do us good service, you know, had, had the fashion been for something very, very different, maybe. But I don't know, the market is so diverse. There's so many different things out there that people are following and interested in. And and, and also, I, I mean, we benefit from the whole concept of diversity. I mean, it is not unusual to be, especially in bigger cities, for there to be, you know, quite a big percentage of people in their 20s coming to wire gigs, you know. And in a way, they don't feel weird because maybe 10 or 20 years ago, People in the twenties would only really go out and see things by people in their twenties. Yeah, this is but true. But now it's like, well, actually, people want to see a range, a range of things. So to go and see an older band, you know, it's just it's kind of part of that mix. Yes, and that must be fantastic to be able to look at the audience and realise it isn't sort of people of your own age on a nostalgic trip either. Oh, it's a, you know, so, well, so sometimes some of the very youngest ones can be the most conservative <laughs> in their in their attitude. They just discovered Pink Flag last week and think we're going to play it. You know, <laughs> sorry, mate, <laughs> it's less than one. <laughs> yes, so there you go. But look, Colin. Well, thank you. I think I've got quite a bit there. But thank you ever so much for giving me the time because um, it's you know much appreciated. And I sort of noticed that you're going to be in Norwich. In October, which will be yes. very, which will be a very autumnal, and that's the first date of your UK tour, which is first going to be date of the UK tour, yes, in Norwich, which will take you right through. Yes, it's quite neatly done, isn't it? September, America, and then um, the East Coast, and then the UK in October. I mean, that's done. Yeah, it's called planning. <laughs> that's kind of yes, wisdom. I guess that's kind yes. of sort well, of, you know, planning. It's all in the planning. You have to all, plan everything. You can't. You can't just you know, oh hello, let's we finish the record now, let's put it out tomorrow and let's tour the week after that. And that just that just, just doesn't happen anymore. No. You know, you've got to be thinking about stuff a year, two years, three years ahead. That's the way it works. I know. And it does sound like you've got it quite nicely sorted. Even though life always throws up a little bit of an odd moment, it does sound Yeah, quite... you know. It has you know, it has its moments, but in theory, in theory it should all work out, you know. Yeah. Because when I sort of you know, looking at your quite comprehensive sort of I don't, website, I mean, the, the, the gigs you used to do in your early years, I mean, you were almost on the road all the time, going all over the country and then Europe and then the UK, um, USA. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we have you know, we've played quite a lot. I mean, certainly since 2011, we've played a lot of shows. Yes. Not as many as we played in 1978. Well, no, I was looking. I was just looking at your early years, thinking, "My God, you just um, were hardly home." Yeah, no, we did talk. We did talk quite a lot, but I mean, actually, there were other bands who talked much more than we did. Yes. We were considered to be lazy in terms of the amount of touring we did. And so those things have changed. You know, you you don't just play gigs for the sake of it. You play gigs because there's an audience there, and there's a you know 
there's someone there's someone to see you and, and you're you know you, you the routines are, are really down to what you know you you've decided what time you're when your touring period is and the routing is so that you can get around without it being completely killing you yes um and uh you know it's 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 planned out you know and you know if we're not playing a certain place it may be because we couldn't get a venue on that particular night when we we, we would be able to do it yeah. You know, we wouldn't be able to come back three days later because we're going to be in a different different place. There, it'd be too far to drive. You know, it's just just the logistics. Yes. logistics. Your 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 ability to whiz around an Excel spreadsheet is probably quite impressive. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 have people who do. You know, we have agents and all that kind of stuff. You know, we don't do it all ourselves. You know. <laughs> it's, it's it's all about the, the strategic relationships that you build over the years with with a set of people who 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 make those things work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Colin, thank you ever so much for giving me the time and and just you know, fantastic to see so many bands who um, I mean, are still rocking and rolling. I mean, in a in a way that you know you you haven't really ever gone away. Whereas a lot of bands I've noticed did have a quite a break, and I were a bit surprised to be back together, but have sorted out some of their issues both. With them, with themselves, and with each other, and they're quite enjoying themselves again. Yeah, no, I said Wire have been. I mean, we have been at it sort of fairly continuously, really um, since since the millennium. You know, the new, the dawn of the millennium has been more or less a continuously active period. Yes, with little little breaks in it. So, you know. Yes, the, the noughties was good, wasn't it? But anyway, yeah. Well, look, thank you ever so much, and I hope it goes really well through the next couple of months and beyond. Well, I hope to see you in Norwich. Yes, well, hopefully I'll get down to see the uh, the gig. OK, well, thank you ever so much, and enjoy your coffee. All right, cheers, mate. Thank bye. you, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, there you go, lots of detail. I hope you were making notes. Anyway, that is the interview, my Wire special with Colin Newman from the band. This has been David Eastall. Thank you ever so much for listening. If you still are, you might not be. I don't blame you. Anyway, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter. Just go to at C86show. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Indeed. I know. I'm all about the social media platforms. Um, yeah, keep it happy and smiley. Otherwise, you know, life's too short. Just delete it. Um, what else? Yes, you can also... I've been archiving them. And also I've got quite a lot of the shows on various platforms as well. I think they're called platforms. Who knows? It's on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes and Mixcloud. Just do C86 show and um, you'll find them. Anyway, that's it. Keep checking. I've been, you know, very keen doing this. So um, I've got a lot of them out there. Have a great week.